Merry Christmas. I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I want to thank you all for being here today to celebrate uh, Christmas, the birth of Jesus, especially our guests who are with us, whether you're here in person or watching online or listening to our podcast. We appreciate your spending some Christmas time with us. Uh, Kevin just shared a lot of exciting things happening in the life of our church. Hope you'll uh, check out some of those things and get involved and uh, maybe take a next step in your relationship with God or with us here. And another neat tradition that we like to do here on Christmas Eve is uh, you'll find in the lobby on your way out, there's a table just full of uh, donuts from Krispy Kreme, dozens of donuts out there. I can't imagine how many thousands of calories are sitting on that table, but uh, we'd like for you to grab a box of donuts and deliver them to somebody who's working today. Maybe it's at the gas station where you got to fill up your car or the restaurant where you're going to eat today or if you got to make a last minute dash to the mall or another store just to say to somebody, man, I know it's tough to be stuck working on Christmas Eve and we just want you to know that our church appreciates what you do. So please share the love of God uh, and a lot of sugar uh, with some donuts with some folks today. Let me now invite you to join me in a moment of silent prayer that I would deliver God's word this morning, that we would all hear it and allow God's Christmas story to become part of our story. Let's pray about that together. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Young Ralphie Parker had one hope for Christmas, to get the official Red Ryder BB gun. What is it that we hope for this Christmas? Maybe it's uh, lots of new toys tomorrow. Maybe it's uh, a new car. Maybe it's some jewelry. What is it that, that we're hoping for this Christmas, tomorrow, as we, as we celebrate, as we come down the stairs or whatever it is that we do? What is your hope for Christmas this year? I've got a five-year-old son and a nine-year-old son, and there's a lot of hope in our household uh, for tomorrow morning. You know, there's a lot of hope for Nerf, and there's a lot of hope for Star Wars. There's a lot of hope for Legos, uh, and that's just me. I'm not sure what they want, but, uh, <laughs> but seriously, you know, what is it that it's this time of year? We love it. It's so magical. It's finally here, and we're excited, and, and maybe it's a, it's a more serious hope. You know, maybe we hope for someone to be able to, to see them tomorrow. We weren't expecting to see them, and, and we couldn't get them home for Christmas, and we're hoping that that's going to be a surprise. Or, you know, maybe we're hoping for a, a physical healing or an emotional or relationship healing in our lives, right? So what is it that, that we hope for? Because hope is a powerful thing this time of year. And, and maybe our hope isn't so much for ourselves. Maybe it's for the people in our lives that we care about. Our friends, our family, uh, our church family, maybe our colleagues at work, our neighbors, somebody that, that we know is hurting and, and they need something special to happen to them. And, and, and we have hope for them that this could be the Christmas that changes everything. And if you're like me, I, I can imagine that, you know, we're sending up prayers to God and to heaven today. And, and we're praying, God, let this be the Christmas that's special for this person in this way. And, and, and we uh, are living on hope that God will hear these prayers and, and answer them. These prayers are for one man who is a neighbor and a friend, a son and a husband and a father. George Bailey has been trying his whole life to get out of, uh, to escape his hometown, the small town of Bedford Falls. And every time he's tried to escape from there, there's always been a crisis that sucked him back into the town. 
whether helping to keep the, his father's building and loan afloat through the Great Depression to, uh, to helping uh, his, his brother survive falling into the ice uh, in, a, in a lake to, to bring him back, to helping the local druggist not make a mistake and accidentally poison a child that, that will end his life and ruin uh, his own career and spend his life in jail, helping a, a woman to avoid going the route of prostitution in her life. This, this man has given everything that he can for, for his community. But he finds himself in a desperate situation and, and a misunderstandings happen and, and $8,000 in 1945 has been misplaced and that would equate to $100,000 in, in today's currency and, and George is not thinking rationally and there's been a, a warrant for his arrest and he sees himself spending the rest of his life in prison and, and to make a long story short, he's desperate and, and he's at the end of his rope and he's thinking about suicide. Because he believes with his life insurance policy that he's worth more dead than he is alive and, and he's considering ending it all. And he's disappeared. And the people in his life are praying for him because they don't know where he is and they know he's in a desperate situation. Help my friend. Help my son. Help my husband. Help my daddy. And so many prayers are lifted up in this movie for this man that is beloved by the community. What are our prayers? What are our hopes for our friends and our family this holiday, this Christmas season? Just before Jesus was born in the Middle East and the country of Israel, over 2,000 years ago, there were prayers going up then as well. And the people of Israel had very specific prayers. They had lots of prayers for their own lives, their own families, but they also prayed for their nation and They've been through a hard time for the last thousand years of their existence. They haven't really self-ruled themselves. And, and they've been ruled by foreign governments that have been very oppressive and very cruel. And, and they look back to a thousand years before Jesus was born to when they were at the height of, of their nation. And a king ruled over them, one of their own. His name was King David, and he was a mighty king. And he was a mighty warrior and a great politician. And, and he led Israel well, and they were God's people and were doing great things again about a thousand years before Jesus was born. And, and after David left the throne, his son Solomon ruled for a while, and then his ancestors began to rule, and Israel went into a civil war. They were disobedient to God, and all these foreign governments came in, and they oppressed the people of Israel, and, and, and the people are still oppressed. It's been a thousand years, and, and they hear rumors that God is finally going to send their, their Savior, their Messiah that's been prophesied in their Bible, and and that this might be the time and their prayers are lifted up with hope that maybe one day this, these, this oppressive government will leave. Right? And maybe to put that into context, you know, we're a young country as Americans. We're not even yet 250 years old. It's hard for us to imagine being ruled by anyone other than ourselves, especially for a thousand years. And, and so it's hard for us to think about that. But, but could you just imagine... Right, right after 1776, we rule ourselves for a few years, but then foreign governments begin to come in and, 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 they, and they take over. And, and they would be to the degree kind of like Soviet Russia would rule us for 100 years and North Korea would rule us for 100 years and, and ISIS would be ruling us for the last 50 years. Could you imagine the struggles and, and the pain and, and all that we would go through with, with regimes like that? And, and we would look back to 1776 and we look back to July 4th and, and we would envision that God would send us someone to save us. And, 
and would kind of be like a legendary figure that, they, that would be a, a strong, mighty warrior, kind of like mixing you know, our linebackers from the Panthers, Luke Kegley and Thomas Davis together, and they would just be this mighty kind of warrior. And then you throw in some Abraham Lincoln and George Washington, these, these great presidents and statesmen. And then you throw in a little bit of dash of you know, Norman Schwarzkopf and Colin Powell, these, these strong generals, and you, you wrap it all up and, and you think, God's going to deliver us, right? That's what the people of Israel are waiting on. And they're waiting on that for almost a thousand years. And, and the rumors are coming that the Messiah, the Savior, is finally getting ready to be born. Right? And so that's where we pick up the story today. And so we're going to be in the Bible. If you've got your Bibles with you and want to turn in the New Testament, we're going to be uh, in the books of Matthew and Luke in the New Testament. It's the, Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. Luke's the third book of the New Testament. Matthew and Luke are Gospels. That means uh, it's the good news of Jesus. Matthew was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and Luke was an early first uh, century disciple. He was a, a physician, a doctor, and so they're writing about eyewitness accounts of what happened with Jesus. And why we're in Matthew and Luke today is because they're the only two Bibles that talk about the birth of Jesus. So Matthew talks about the birth of Jesus from his father's perspective, Joseph's perspective, and Luke talks about the birth of Jesus from Mary, his mother's perspective. And so we're going to kind of mix those together, and that's what we do every year with angels and wise men. They're in different parts of the Bible. So we're going to jump in today. So if you've got your Bibles with you, you want to look up on the screen. I'm going to pull out my phone and get my Bible up here. Um, and we're going to begin in Luke's Gospel. So in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. Caesar was the ruler of Rome. And he wanted a census taken, likely to know how many people lived where so he could tax them. Okay, so uh, very self-serving. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. Right. So Joseph is this average, everyday carpenter. He lives in the northern part of Israel in a little town called Nazareth, but he's from Bethlehem, which is about 90 miles away. So he's got to travel by foot down to Bethlehem, about 90 miles away, to be part of the, the census. And he is from the lineage of, get this, King David. Right? So the king that they're looking back to, although Joseph is no king, he's no, um, no powerful person. He's just an average blue-collar worker, a carpenter, okay? And so uh, he's heading down to do that. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So his fiancée is going with him. She's nine months pregnant. She's getting ready to have a baby, and she wants to be sure to be uh, with her fiancé when this happens. And so uh, not a, you know, the greatest idea to you know, ride a donkey for 90 miles. Probably not the most uh, comfortable way to spend your last days of your pregnancy, but she didn't want to be separated from Joseph. And, and you'll notice, right, they're not married yet, and she's you know, nine months pregnant, getting ready to have a baby. And, you know, and so when Joseph first heard this, he's like, hmm, I didn't sign up for this, right? And so, you know, he's like, you know, I, you know I'm just going to, I'm going to like separate from you quietly, right? Because in those days, that was a no-no, right? To be pregnant out of wedlock and, and Mary could have been killed for this. And so, you know, Joseph's like, well, I, you know, it's not my son, I'm my daughter, I'm, you know, I'm just going to be out of here. But Mary's like, no, it's from God, right? Right, I'm a virgin. I know it sounds crazy, but, you know, God is... It's going to give me this child. And Joseph's like, okay, okay, whatever. But then the angel comes and tells Joseph, and, 
And so he says, wow, yeah, I'd be, I'd be honored to be the father of Jesus, right? The son of God. And, you know, and we look back on that in the 21st century, and we're like, virgin birth, you know, that sounds a little sketchy. I'm not sure if I, I can believe that, you know, what, what's up with that? And, you know, I, I want to believe in God. I want to believe in Jesus. But really, a virgin birth, I mean, that, that can be a stumbling block. I get that, right? That just, that, that sounds kind of out there. But, you know, I read uh, an article this week that said uh, last month in Tennessee, that a 25-year-old lady, she and her husband, uh, she gave birth to their first child uh, that came from an embryo uh, that was frozen 24 years ago. Right? So like when she was one year old, this embryo was created, and then she carried it later, 25 years later, gave birth to a child. So she didn't have a baby the old-fashioned way, if you know what I'm talking about. And so right, the way I see this is that God's just got really good technology, right? If we can do that, right, in the 21st century, then I don't know if it's that far of a stretch. So anyway, don't want that to be a hang-up to you. But anyway, so Joseph and Mary, two common people. She's likely a teenager. He's a carpenter, right? They're going to go, uh, and they're going to have this baby uh, on, on the way to the census. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. There, there's no room at the end, right? So this is a very common family. They can't afford a rich hotel or a, a room. They can't even get a room in a, in, a, in, a, in a local motel. And so Mary has to give birth in a stable, a manger where animals are. Could you imagine, right? You've ridden 90 miles on a donkey. And you just want, you know, a warm bed, you want some hot water. Uh, and she's going to give birth to the Messiah, right, in a manger in a stable with a bunch of animals. Um, so anyway, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, right? Again, blue-collar kind of people keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord, an angel simply a messenger from God, appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, right? So whenever angels appear in the Bible, it always says people were terrified. You know, this is heavenly being. Again, God has great technology, right? It appears to these average common people, right, to, to tell this message. And the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Right? The angel's getting ready to say the Messiah's been born. And so it's interesting that God goes to the blue-collar workers first and says, right, something pretty cool is happening, but it's going to be good news of great joy for the entire world, right? They're going to go and, you know, the wise men, like, the, you know, the more wealthier people are going to get that next. And so, so this Messiah is for everybody and going to the commoners first, going to go to the rich people later. But this, there's something special about this Messiah. This ordinary Messiah is going to be something special for everybody, this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appear, right? More of God's messengers. And they appear with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests, right? So this, of course, is the story of Jesus. This is, a, this is why we're here. This, right? It's Jesus' birthday, and we, and we celebrate that today. And, and there's a lot of stuff in here. We, I could, could spend like all next year talking about this, right? We're going to do that with the story next year, and I'm really excited about that. But, but you know, there's a couple of things I think we can focus on here today, and I think one of the most powerful things that comes in this passage of Scripture is that God you know, does, uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. So God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary, right? So, you know, we're thinking Messiah, we're thinking ruler, we're thinking another King David, we're thinking, you know, the Carolina Panther linebackers, the, the generals, the George Washingtons, the Abraham Lincoln, let's all roll it together, and that's who's going to be the Messiah, but it's not, 
right? There's going to be a noble birth, you know, a celebrity birth. You know, it's going to be a big deal, but it's, it's a common carpenter, blue-collar worker, a teenage girl, uh, and a baby born uh, in a manger with animals. God uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. It's powerful, right? And so what kind of a Messiah is this, this guy going to be? It doesn't seem that he's going to be the military leader. He's going to be the political leader. So, you know, what kind of a Messiah is Jesus going to be? We're going to jump back just uh, for one verse uh, to Matthew's gospel. Again, this is from Joseph's story. And this is uh, what we see. The angel's talking to Joseph and says, Mary will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus. Jesus means God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. So the angel had told Joseph the kind of Messiah or the kind of Savior that Jesus would be. He wasn't going to be a military leader. He wasn't going to be a a politician, a a big-time celebrity, something like that. Jesus was going to save the people, not the people of Israel, from the Romans and all that dominance. Jesus came to save people like you and me from ourselves. Jesus came to save people like you and me from our own selves, right? Because this is how it works. We believe that God has created all of us in God's image. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. It means we we can be like God. We can create things. We can do great good. We can make the world a better place. We can love people. We, we can build people up. We can, we can forgive people. We, right? There's just something innately good inside of us because we've been created in God's image, and that's a glorious thing. But when God creates us, He also doesn't want to create robots that have to choose to love Him. You're like, I love God. You know, I, you know, God says, I want to be in a real relationship. And so I'm going to create people, but I'm going to give them a choice. They can, they can return that love for me, or they can do their own thing. I'm not going to make them do what I want them to do. And so God gives us this great gift to, to choose how we're going to live our lives. And, and sometimes we choose incredibly well. And you and I are, are capable of, of doing great things, of feeding hungry people and, and, and giving someone a kind word or a smile when they need it, of, of building up a neighbor or being there for a family member or going to the hospital. Right? We can do great and good things, and we do that. But we're also capable of, of choosing not to follow God, and we can royally mess things up. Right? We, we, can, we can hurt God by, by disobeying God. We, we can mess up the relationships in our lives. We can be mean to people. We can be nasty. We can gossip and we can backbite and we can hurt people physically and emotionally. And, and we can really make life difficult for people. And so on the one hand, we've got all this goodness inside of us. On the other hand, we've got all this, this, this negative evil stuff that goes on. And so we're kind of caught in this struggle. And so the results when we choose to go against God are, are devastating. Right? We bring guilt and shame into our lives for stuff we've done, and, and we carry it around right? for years and years and years. All this baggage we carry it around, kind of like Marley's ghost in A Christmas Carol with all those chains that were weighing him down. We know what that feels like. Right? We also know what it feels like to be in broken relationships with, with people that we used to love or, or care about, right? friends and family and colleagues and neighbors. And, and so, you know, we, we put distance between ourselves. We put distance between ourselves and God, right? And so we've got guilt and shame coming from our sin, which means wrongdoing, right? We have death 
uh, we're going to die one day. And we have separation, right? The Bible uses the word hell for separation. We separate ourselves from each other. We separate ourselves from God. And by the way, we don't have to die to experience hell. We can experience a hell on earth. And so that's the problem. And that's why God sent Jesus. He sent Jesus into the world to make it right. Because he's like, I, I didn't plan that. I created you. I want to I wanna have goodness in your life. I want, you to, I want you to live forever in the kingdom of heaven. And again, better technology. God uploads us somewhere. Don't know how it works. I believe that. But uh, right, I want you to live life to the full now. I want you to make a difference in the world. I, I want to replace your guilt and shame with joy and, and peace. And I want to be with you. And I want you to make a difference. Right, that God sent Jesus to be born. He grew up. He ministered. He taught. Then he died on a cross and he came back to life. Right? And, and what, what's significant about that is when Jesus died and he came back to life, he, he takes our wrongdoing, our sin, our guilt, our shame, our death, our separation, our hell. He took it all on himself and he defeats it. And when he comes back to life, he gives us life. He gives us life to the full now. He gives us meaning now. He gives us life forever in the kingdom of heaven. Right? And again, it sounds like a pipe dream, right? like the virgin birth, like resurrection. No, I mean, God has better technology than us and he's done it and he can do it. And he resurrects lives, right? But we have to choose that. God, that's what God's offering us all right now. It's the, the beautiful miracle of Christmas. That's the great gift. Right? Remember George Bailey? He was at his end. He was going to kill himself. He was going to jump off a bridge into water and drown so that his family could get the money and they could go on without him, right? But God sends an angel into his life, and, and, and the angel shows George what his life, what life would be like if he didn't exist, right? And so instead of his brother Harry being saved, he dies, right? Harry grew up to be a war hero and save a bunch of people. They all die because George wasn't there to save him. The druggist uh, who, uh, who George had intervened in to help him keep from, from poisoning a, a child now poisons a child, the child dies, the man goes to prison, becomes an alcoholic, the, the woman becomes a prostitute, right? Just all the, he never gets married, he never, those children never come alive. And so George sees that, that as tough as it is in his life right now, without him, right, the world would be a darker place. And so George is pleading with God, give me another chance. Check this out. So maybe we're here today and we're at the end of our rope. Right? Something is broken in our life. Something's broken in a relationship. Something, some kind of addiction, maybe. There's just something broken in our life. And we're like George. And we want to live. Right? We, we want to live a life that matters. We want to make a difference. We want to live life to the full. We want to live forever in the kingdom of heaven. Right? The good news of, Christian, of Christmas is that, is that Jesus came to give us life. And this is the great gift that God offers to us. And so I believe, right, that the best hope for the world is Jesus. Jesus is the best hope, right? And so if you've not yet invited Jesus into your life, I would just invite you to do it, do it now. This can be the best Christmas ever for you. Jesus, I want to live. I want you to live in me. I want to make a difference. I want to be in right relationships, right? Jesus is our best hope. And Jesus can be your best hope. This Christmas can transform your life. I invite you to give God a chance through Jesus Christ. And prayers are going up. And prayers keep going up. They keep, they keep going up for the world. Not just for, for spiritual things that are so important, right? And meaningful things in our lives. But, but, but there are some specific prayers going up. To, there, there are parents and their grandparents all around this world. They're praying right now, God, my child is sick and, and I can't afford to go to the doctor. Lord, get me in front of a doctor. 
get me in front of others. I know it's just, it's just a common, common illness, but if it's not treated, then, then my child could die, right? God, I just, I just need to have access to, to health care. And I'm not just talking about third world. I'm talking about people in our state, in North Carolina, praying those prayers right now. Right? There's, there's parents and their grandparents right now around the world, and they're praying, Lord, my daughter, my, my son, my grandson, right? this close to, to death because we don't have access to clean water. We can't drink clean water. We can't sanitize, right? 2,300 people will die today because they don't have water. There will be 2,300 people, relatives, prayers are going to go answered because some way, somehow, their relatives, their children, their grandchildren did not have access to clean water. It's not going to be a great Christmas for them, right? right? So there are prayers that are going out, and, you know, our hearts go out. There's a million other circumstances, right? Then our hearts go out to that, and, you know, and we think, kind of like, the people of Israel thought, right, that, that, that that's why we have, you know, celebrities, and that's why we have people with power, and, you know, like, we think about Bill and Melinda Gates, they're billionaires, and they, they help save, you know, thousands, if not millions of people around the world, they use their money for good, and it's a beautiful and a powerful thing, and think about Cam Newton, the quarterback for the Carolina Panthers, last week, he went around Charlotte, and, and he gave away over $100,000 worth of food, and education, and blankets, and just, those are cool things, and, and, and sometimes we see, you know, larger-than-life people do amazing things. We elect politicians, Democrats, and Republicans who make us great promises. They're going to make the world and our country a better place and that they're going to help people. And, and sometimes they do well. Democrats and Republicans, they, they bring in programs that help people. And sometimes the Democrats and Republicans are like the people of Israel and their leaders. They don't do well and people fall through the cracks, you know. And so, so sometimes God works through larger-than-life people. But what I believe is that, that God does most of his work God does most of his work like he did with Joseph and Mary. God does most of his work through people like you and me. God takes ordinary people like us and helps us do extraordinary things because God is behind it, right? And, and God is behind it, right? Bill Hybels is a pastor in Chicago, Illinois. And what he believes is he believes that the local church, like, like we're here right now, he says the local church is the best hope for the world. Because the local church is the body of Christ in the world until Jesus comes back again. Again, better technology, right? And so his hope is, is built in the local church. Now, some of us are here today, and we're probably pretty skeptical of that. And, and that's a valid critique. Because sometimes in the church, we get it wrong. And we can be very judgmental in the local church. We can be very hypocritical in the local church. We can be very self-serving and self-focused in the local church. And sometimes we get it incredibly wrong. And I apologize when we do that because we do that. But when we get it right, when the local church gets it right and we let Jesus work through us and we step out of the way and we surrender our agendas to God, man, we can do powerful things. The ordinary people like you and me can do extraordinary things through the power of God. And that's what I'm asking you to consider today. Right? Every Christmas, every Christmas Eve, we do something that I think is really great and it goes beyond who we are. We take up a Christmas Eve offering we split the offering in two, and we give it to two worthy, powerful, significant ministries, and we give 100% of it away to people who are doing God's work. And so today, we're going to have a chance to, to do that, right? And so, so half the money that we give for our Christmas Eve offering is going to go to New Story Church. It's a church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It's a six-year-old church that we've supported pretty much since they started. Uh, and they're in, they're in bad areas in Winston-Salem. Half of the church is made up of people who are living in poverty, 
who are in recovery ministry battling against addictions to alcohol and drugs and pornography and all kinds of things. There are former gang members in the church. There, there are gang members who are trying to leave gangs, right? This church, God is doing amazing things. In six years, they've gone from a handful of people meeting in the pastor's home to three campuses all around Winston-Salem. We've helped fund two of those campuses through Christmas Eve offerings in the past. But this year, Pastor Scott came to us and said, when we give to them, they're going to establish a free medical clinic in one of the worst neighborhoods in Winston-Salem. On their campus, they have a house that they want to fix up. They've already talked to doctors and nurses who are going to volunteer their time for free, and they're going to give free medical attention to the men, women, and children of that community. And we can be extraordinary, ordinary people making that happen. The other half of the Christmas Eve offering, we're going to give to Rotary International through a local Rotary Club here in Charlotte. Every dollar we give them, they're going to match it with $2.50. So our dollar becomes $3.50. They're going to partner with a Christian nonprofit group called Water Mission out of Charleston, South Carolina. We're going to take all that money, we're going to go to Haiti, and we're going to give two to three villages, depending on how much money we give today, clean water. So that 2000 300 in people are not going to die on our watch because we love God and we love people and we believe that Jesus is the best hope of the world and that we can be extraordinary and we can make a difference in the world. Right? We do this because it's Jesus' birthday at Christmas. It's not our birthday unless we're born on, January, on December 25th. Right? This is our way of saying happy birthday, Jesus. We know that you love these children, that you love these people. And we want to be able to give back, right? You remember, right, George Bailey, after this scene, you know, God gives him his life back and, and he starts running through Bedford Falls and he's just singing, Merry Christmas! And he's like, Merry Christmas to the building and loan and Merry Christmas to the movie theater. And he runs to the bank where the Scrooge like Mr. Potter is who's trying to destroy the world. He bangs on the window, Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter! And, and he's on top of the world. He goes back to his house and he's getting ready to be arrested and go to jail for the rest of his life for all he knows. He doesn't know that his friend are going to give him money and bail him out. He's on top of the world because God has, has given him his life back and given him a, a new lease on life, kind of like we are when we receive Jesus Christ as, as our Lord and Savior, right? And, and so he's on top of the world, right? And so what's going on here, what's going on here is, is, is he is on top of the world because, and, and the people that prayed for him, their prayers have been answered. So here's what I want you to think about tomorrow morning after we give to the Christmas Eve offering today is we're sitting with our families and our friends and we're unwrapping presents and we're having a great time and that's what Christmas is about. And Don't feel guilty about that. right? That's, I'm not, that's my message. Enjoy that moment. But I want you to take a moment tomorrow and I want you to imagine that there's going to be a parent or a grandparent somewhere in Haiti who's going to say, thank you, Jesus, for hearing my prayer. My son, my daughter, my grandchild is going to live because you've answered my prayer and we're going to get clean water here. There's going to be a child. There's going to be a parent whose prayer in Winston-Salem is going to be answered to say, God, we need something for our community. My children need to have some free medical care. It's not going to happen, Lord. I just don't see, please help us. We're going to answer that parent's prayer and they're going to say, my son is going to live. My daughter's going to live. They're going to get the care that they need because brothers and sisters, you and I, Jesus is going to use us, ordinary people, to answer their prayers. And I want you to be full of joy tomorrow. And I want you to be full of excitement, right? So what I'm asking you to do is be extraordinary messengers of hope. To be God's extraordinary messengers of hope, right? That's, that's the big idea for today. Be extraordinary messengers of hope. God takes the ordinary, you and me, and he uses us to do the extraordinary. And so it, 
two things need to happen. One, we need to invite Jesus into our lives. Jesus is the best hope for the world. We can't be the best hope for the world unless Jesus is living inside of us. So if you don't know Jesus, invite him in into your life. And the second thing is to give to the Christmas Eve offering. If it's 50 cents, if it's a dollar, if it's a thousand dollars, right, it will make a difference. And there's going to be a parent, there's going to be a grandparent waking up pretty soon saying, my child is saved. God, you answered my prayer. And it's because God used you and me. What better way to say Merry Christmas? What better way to say Happy birthday, Jesus. Be extraordinary messengers of hope. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you can use us like you used Joseph and Mary. God, ordinary people to make a difference in the world. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for being our Savior. And thank you, God, for this great gift that we have to bring life to other people. In your name, amen. Thank mm-hmm. you.